family? I said, praise the Lord, family. Come on and give God some glory. Come on and give him some praise. For God is worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank God for being able to gather this morning, the few of us that are here, in order that we might continue in the work of sending forth the Word of God by way of praise, worship, and preaching. We thank God that he spared us one more time to come to see another day in which we've not seen before. And As we come, Lord, we come preparing ourselves for prayer and for preaching, knowing that God is still in control spite of what people say and in spite of how you feel, God is still in control. That is the reason we do not walk by what we feel. Amen. We don't walk by sight. Amen. Uh, we are to walk in the spirit of God knowing that faith is what keeps us grounded, propped up, and moving in the things of God. Today, as we come, we're praying for the sick, the shut-in, those who are on the bereaved list. We're praying for Minister Keziah Daniels as she continues to recover. She said the other day she's about 80% back to herself. We praise God for that. We're praying for Sister Evelyn Mitchell. We're praying for Sister Kathleen Overturf. We're praying for Brother James Ridgeway. We're praying for Sister Talia White. We're praying for Mother Dorothy Clemens, who was hospitalized this week. Now has been transferred out of the hospital. She's in a rehabilitation place in order that her body would be strengthened. So I ask that you pray for Mother Clemens. And then we're praying for the Clark family. Deacon Richard Clark, as many of you know, has gone home to his home in glory. And we're praying for his daughter and his family, his grandchildren, all of those who are bereaved and grieving today. His service will be on Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. in the city of Bloomington, California. That's near Fontana. And the address there is 11715 Cedar Avenue, Bloomington, California. It is Green Acres Memorial Park. That will be on 10-7 Wednesday at 9 a.m. The viewing will be the day before from 4 to 8, 4 to 8, same location. We're asking that if you're able to come out, we ask that you do so. For those of you who are part of auxiliaries, this will be an outdoor homegoing celebration. And if you desire to wear uniforms, et cetera, if you have questions about that, please contact your auxiliary chairperson. Amen? But we'll start at 9 o'clock. It'll be a one-hour service on Wednesday. Let us bow. God, how we praise and how we thank thee, Lord God, for your blessings upon us. God, you are so gracious, you're so kind, you're so considerate of us. God, that words cannot even express the gratitude in which we have for not only who you are, Lord God, but also for what you've done. Not blessing us in the physical realm, but the blessings that you provide to us in the spiritual realm. You've given us peace that passeth all understanding. You've given us hope for tomorrow. You've given us joy that is unspeakable and undeniable. And God, even now in our weakest moments, those who are grieving, those who are ill, we know that it's by your hand that we feel strengthened even now. God, we ask a blessing upon all of the names that we've mentioned that are part of the sick and the shut-in. We're praying for those who we may not know exactly what's going on with them, but God, we know that you know praying for the bereaved hearts. We're praying for those whose hearts are heavy. Tears continue to fall from their face because of the loss of a loved one. God, touch them right now. Bless them right now. Allow them to feel your presence right now. And we'll be careful to give you praise. Now, God, as we continue and venture further into worship today, God, we ask that you'd forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our shortcomings. Forgive us, Lord God, of our iniquities. 
Forgive us of the depravity of our hearts, Lord God, and the bitterness of our character. Restore unto us the joy of thy salvation, that our prayers be not hindered. Now, God, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Lead, guide us, direct us in the way that you'd have us to go. And when it's all said and done, God, we pray that that which we offer up unto thee will be acceptable in thy sight. You are our strength. You are our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we ask these and all blessings. Let the people of God say, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles. Those of you at home, grab your Bibles. As we run to the Word of God. The book of Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 1. The book of Romans, chapter 1. Verse 16. We're continuing to journey through Romans. I don't know if we'll get through all of it, but we're going to go as far as the Lord tells us to go, amen? And today we just have one verse for your hearing, one verse for your hearing, and that's verse 16. Verse 16, verse 16. And here's what the Word of God says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Let me read that again for you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is, it what? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek from that one verse, I'd like to use as a focal point, as a theme this morning for the few minutes we have left, fundamental facts about the gospel. Fundamental facts about the gospel. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Fundamental facts about the gospel. The Apostle Paul has come to the conclusion of his greeting and his salutation. And as he approaches the end of this portion of his letter, he is once again reiterating his desire to go and visit with the brethren, the brethren includes the brothers and the sisters, in Rome. He declares unto us, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Words are inadequate to describe all that the word of God is. The indelible and inerrant authority that is in the word of God has no equal. There is no philosophy, there is no viewpoint, there is no idea that can circumvent or thwart or nullify or dismiss the effect that the word of God has in and on a person's life. Paul is not speaking based on what he's heard. Paul is speaking based on his experience and what he knows to be true. Paul earnestly and sincerely wishes to come and share the word of God with these faithful believers. How sad it is when preaching the word of God for some becomes an arduous, laborious, and grueling activity. Paul recognizes that he has been called to the greatest work known to mankind, and that is he has been called and chosen as a spokesman 
and as a mouthpiece for the true and the living God. Paul is so excited to preach the word of God that he apprises the people of God in his intentions and in doing so, he affirms that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Unfortunately, not everyone can echo the same sentiment as the Apostle Paul, but he wants to be explicitly clear that when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, in street vernacular, there is no shame in his game. Paul is standing firm on the word of God, knowing that the word of God has some elements to it that are able to literally turn your life around, that are literally able to turn your situation upside down, that's able to take you from the bottom and to put you on top. And there are people in the world who want to be associated and known for being in specific cliques and specific clubs and in political affiliations and organizations. However, they're hesitant to proclaim that they're on the Lord's side. Paul said, I'm not ashamed to be a preacher. I'm not ashamed to be saved. I'm not ashamed to be holy. I'm not ashamed to walk in faith. I'm not ashamed to give my all in all for the God who saved my life. And there are people who profess that they're not ashamed, but your behavior says otherwise. Because when you get into the presence of people who are in the world, you begin to try to uh, uh, adjust your behavior and your demeanor and placate them in order to appear like you're like them. That, that's what Peter did when he was following Jesus from afar. Peter was one who stood out there with the other folk and warmed himself by the fire and pretended as if he was not one of Jesus's disciples. There are folk in the body of Christ right now who have the same demeanor, but yet not the apostle Paul. Paul was saying that I am unashamedly for God. Paul was saying I am unapologetically for God. Paul was declaring that the Holy Spirit of God had apprehended him and accosted him and that he was not going to be cautious. He was not going to sit around like a frozen chosen. He was not going to be one of those who wouldn't praise their hands and, and clap their hands and say amen. Paul says I'm going to give God praise because it is because of God that I live and move and have my being. And I believe that there are people in here right now. I believe that there are people online right now that if it had not been for the Lord who was on your side, where in the world would you be? Not even the finest hospitals, not even the finest medical clinic, not even the finest mental places would suffice for me, but to know that I am walking and moving in the power of God. What a blessing it is. It puts joy in in my spirit. Paul says, I can't wait to come to Rome. I want to fellowship with you. I want to preach to you. I want to be in the environment of the saints of God. And I believe it'll bless me and it'll be a blessing to you. And Paul says, I am unashamed. Mm. The gospel of Christ. If the lives of mankind are going to be enhanced and expanded. The gospel is the only way it's going to happen. Philosophical rhetoric will not work. Metaphysical pretentiousness will not work. Theoretical ideology will not work. What we need is the gospel of God. Because in God's word, it is all of that and then some. Well, how do you know, preacher? Because there are some fundamental facts about the gospel. Paul clearly understood the fundamentals of the gospel and it produced in him great confidence and his desire to go and to preach and to fellowship, and to worship, and to praise with the church in Rome. What is it about the Euglion, 
the good news, <laughs> the gospel, the word of God that Paul understood that undergirded him with self-assurance and confidence. The first fundamental fact is, here's the first fundamental fact, is that the A portion of verse 16, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Get, get, get this, this is the first fundamental fact, and that is that the foundation of the gospel is Christ. The foundation of the gospel is Christ. The Greek word for ashamed Episkunomai means to invert and withdraw. To be ashamed of the gospel is to denounce and to legitimize, delegitimize the perpetual effect of Christ operating in and controlling your life as a believer. The foundation, a foundation is required in order to erect something, to build something that's going to stand, you need a firm foundation. You'll remember over in the New Testament, Jesus talks about building on the sand and the wind comes along and it blows away your, your, your home or your, your building. But when you build upon a firm foundation, then you are literally putting yourself in a position and that which you built in a position that it's able to stand firm. The Bible tells us that, that Jesus is that foundation. A foundation is required in order to build. Christ is the foundation in which the entire gospel message rests upon. It does not rest upon some foolish philosophy. It rests upon Jesus the Savior. The gospel, the good news, would fail to be good news and, and be of good any good use if Jesus were removed from it. If you remove Jesus from the good news, it's no longer good. If you remove Jesus from the church, there's no reason for us to meet. If you remove Jesus from prayer, your prayers will not be heard. But when Jesus is in the midst of it, I'm telling you some things began to happen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, verse 10 and 11, the Bible says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it but then he says let each one take care how he builds upon it it is the foundation verse 11 for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ you cannot lay another foundation in order to erect the gospel upon because it will not stand it has to be built upon Jesus Christ. The first fundamental of the gospel is the foundation of the gospel is Jesus. Paul says here that Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is the foundation of the gospel. The word foundation is metaphorically used and it means elementary doctrine and or instruction. From Genesis to Revelation, Christ is the central figure. He is spoken of in every book of the Bible. You cannot grasp the weighty. You cannot grasp the substantial. You cannot grasp the extensive things of the gospel if you fail to acknowledge, if you fail to recognize, if you fail to concede, if you fail to admit that Jesus Christ is at is the essence of the gospel. Why is it that folk get together on Sunday morning in order to praise a God who do not recognize him for giving his darling son? The reason we praise God is because of the gift that he gave us. All you have to do is go back to the elementary aspects of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is the reason that we come together. That's the reason I give God praise because he gave me Jesus. That's the reason that I glorify his name is because he gave me Jesus. That's the reason that I stomp my feet. That's the reason that
that I get up in the wee hours of the morning to talk to him because he gave me Jesus. That's the reason that we smile. That's the reason that we're energetic. That's the reason that we're excited. It's because he gave me Jesus. And the thing that I love about God, and I don't mean this in a demeaning, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but God is not an Indian giver, as the old adage goes, because God does not give and then take back. That means when he gave me Jesus, he gave him to me to stay. That is the foundation of the gospel. That's the reason we come on Sunday morning. That's the reason we come on Wednesday night. That's the reason we sing songs of Zion. That's the reason we bring our tithes. That's the reason we pray for other folk. That's the reason we have compassion and love and hope and peace and joy and long suffering because God gave us Jesus and he is the foundation. Let me tell you something about a firm foundation. You can walk on a firm foundation and you ain't got to worry about stumbling. Let me tell you something about a firm foundation. You can stand up no matter how big you are, how much you weigh, how tall you are, and the foundation is able to hold you up. Is there anybody in the house that realizes that in your weakest moment, in your time of need, you were able to stand on the foundation of God and he held you up. Look at somebody and tell them he's holding you. He's holding you. Stand firm on the foundation of God because the foundation of the gospel is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He is the foundation. Not Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is not the foundation of the gospel. The pastor is not the foundation of the gospel. Jesus is the foundation of the gospel. John declares in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Him who? Jesus the foundation of the gospel. When the book of Revelation in chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 22, verse 13, speaks of the Alpha and the Omega, it was speaking about Jesus. <laughs> when 1 Corinthians 14, 45 speaks of the advocate, it was speaking about Jesus. When Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 speaks of the angel of the Lord, it was speaking about Jesus. When Isaiah chapter 63 verse 9 speaks of the angel of God's presence, it was speaking about Jesus. It was speaking about him because without him, nothing was made. He is everything and in everything because he is the foundation of the gospel. Without Christ, the good news is meaningless. Without Christ, the good news is useless. Without Christ, the good news is pointless. Without Christ, the good news is valueless. Without Christ, the good news is worthless. But the foundation of the gospel is Christ. Paul wants to enlighten the church in Rome. He wants them to know before he ever gets there, listen, I'm not coming to you in a way where I'm going to express being embarrassed. I'm not uncomfortable. I'm not self-conscious about the gospel of Jesus. It is my all in all, and I'm not ashamed of the foundation of the gospel, which is Christ. But that's the first foundation. That's the first, that's the first fundamental is the foundation of the gospel. Then here's the second fundamental of the foundation of the gospel, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but then he says, for it is the power of God unto salvation. If Jesus is the foundation of the gospel, then power is the fabric of the gospel. The fabric is the material, it is the cloth, it is the makeup of the gospel of God. The effectiveness and value of the gospel rests on the fact that it has convicting and converting power. 
The word power in the Greek is dunamis. In the Greek, it refers to miraculous works, as in Mark chapter 6, verse 22, where the Bible says, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath the man these, this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? It speaks of mighty works. It speaks of something that is competent and capable. It speaks of innate power of the true and the living God. The word dunamis is where we get our English word for dynamite, for dynamite. And whether you know it or not, God has explosive power. And his power is passed on by way of his gospel. There is power in the word of God. There is power in the prayers to God. There is power operating in the people of God. All you have to do is understand and know what is at your disposal. The fundamentals of the gospel is that the foundation of the gospel is Jesus Christ, but the fabric of the gospel is power. The gospel is the working power of the true and the living, and his power has intensity to it. That is the reason many of us have changed our lives around. It was not because of a 12-step program that got you off drugs. It was not the scare of uh, diseases that were incurable that stopped you from sleeping around. It was the intensity and the power of the true and the living God that changed your life. That's the reason you don't curse. That's the reason you stop drinking. That's the reason you quit running the streets. I'm not talking about those of you who were still doing it. We're praying that you're getting better over time. But the fact of the matter is there are some people in the kingdom that have experienced the intensity power that God brings and it literally flips your script. It's able to take you from that which you was to bring you to something that you never thought you would be. It is not because of your power. It's because of the power of God. That's the reason you're able to love your enemies. That's the reason you're able to pray for those who use you and talk about you. That's the reason you're able to keep moving in the things of God. It is because of the intensity and the power of the gospel. You have been apprehended. You have been arrested. You have been accosted by the things of God and your mind is different now you used to think bad things and think evil things but the gospel of God and the power of his word has now taken over and taken control of your life that's what's confusing to your friends and confusing to your family because you look the same but you don't talk the same you look the same but you don't act the same when you come into the room light comes in with you. Why? Because you have the power of the living God. Let them fall on hard times. Let them be sick on a sick bed and they call on you to come and lay hands and pray for them. They don't invite you to dinner. They don't invite you to the party, but let them run into a crisis in their life. And the first person they call is you because they know you have power of God. Why? Because the power of God is the fabric of the gospel and the more I take it in the more power I have the more I read it the more power I have the more I meditate on it the more power I have and if you want power all you got to do is get in the gospel of God for therein is the power of God is there anybody who realizes that I can do more with him than I could ever do by myself is there anybody who realizes that you got authority in you that you are the head and not the tail that you are the top you're not the bottom that God has a plan for your life and he's working it through the power of his word is there anybody who loves the word of God is there anybody who understands the 
word of God. Is there anybody who appreciates the word of God? You ought to give God praise and say, I got power, I got power, I got power because my father has power. The power is in him. But I'm connected to him. And because I'm connected to him, his power flows through me. The fabric of the gospel is power. It's power. We cannot separate the gospel of God from the God of the gospel. The same power that exists in him exists in his word. And if I separate God from his word, we would never know what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that specific verse, it gives me the power to keep moving. It gives me the strength to know that whatever it is I'm facing, that my God has the power to fix it. I rest in the fact, as the three Hebrew boys did, that I don't know if he will, but I do know he's able. God has able power to restore the marriage. God has able power to rescue and deliver your children. God has able power to give you that which you need the most. Because God has power that goes beyond the knowledge and the understanding of mankind. If I separate God from his word, I would never know Luke chapter 1 verse 3, where the Bible says that for without God, there's nothing shall be impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And as long as I know it's possible, when I get up tomorrow morning, I get up with some joy. I get up tomorrow morning with some strength. I get up tomorrow morning knowing I can make it. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. The people who are antagonizing you on your job, God says, I can fix that. The people in your neighborhood that treat you bad and talk about you, God says, I can fix that. Because your money is a little funny and you can't meet all of your obligations financially, God says, I can fix that. Because you don't believe that you're a real prayer warrior. God says, I can fix that. Because you don't have peace that passes all understand. God says, I can fix that. I want hope for tomorrow, God. I want peace that passes all understanding. I want a heart that displays gratitude at all times. I want to praise you. I want to worship you. I want to glorify you because you are the true and the living God. Because there's power in the gospel of God and it is the fabric, the makeup of the gospel. It's power. It's powerful. That's the reason people's lives are changed. Don't preach sermons, preachers. Preach Christ. Don't preach to try to impress people. Just preach the gospel because the word of God, when it goes out, it will not return to God boy. It does everything that he has purposed for it to do. Why? Because the fabric of the gospel is power. It's power. It's power. Jesus is the foundation of the gospel and power is the fabric of the gospel. Don't try to separate God from his word. What makes his word good is because it has power. It has power. It has power. It has power. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow and is a discerner thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word in Hebrews chapter 
4, verse 12, powerful is translated as active in the amplified version of the Bible. That God's word is quick and it's active, meaning it activates something. Many of us remember growing up in the 80s, we had what was called a jerry curl. Yeah, 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 we had a jerry curl. Uh, I survived the jerry curl of the 80s, amen. But we also knew that if you didn't put some activator on your jerry curl, that it would dry out and it wouldn't be very curly, amen. Come on, somebody. Uh, y'all, y'all ain't that much beyond the 80s, amen. The Spirit of God activates the believer and causes you to do things and to be what God would have you to be because of the activating power of God's Word. And that without the gospel of God, you would just be limp, you would just be straight, you would just be dry. But when you get the activator of the word of God, it makes you curly, it makes you shine, it makes you look good. Amen. Come on, somebody. So, so the activator of God's word you need in your life. It's powerful. And it is by way of the activator of God that it has a way of warming up your heart. It has a way of building up your faith. It has a way of opening up your eyes. It has a way of calming your fears. It has a way of reviving your mind because it activates us because it has power. It has power. It has power. That's the reason we got up this morning eager to get to the house of the Lord because his gospel has power. And to know that we get a chance to fellowship with the brethren is exciting. It's enjoyable. It, it creates a, a lather, a Holy Spirit lather in you that just seems to permeate wherever you go, wherever you walk, and whoever you come in contact with. The fundamentals of the gospel, the fundamentals about the gospel, the first thing we have to understand is that the foundation of the gospel is Christ. If you remove Jesus, there is no gospel. There is no good news. But not only is it Christ, the second fundamental fact of the gospel is that the fabric of the gospel is power power. Stop reading self-help books and read your Bible. Yeah, yeah. Stop watching these TV programs and read your Bible because your Bible has power. It has authority to activate you to go in the direction that God would have you to go in. But then here's the last one. Here's the last one. Look at the second, the third part of uh, verse 16, the third portion of verse 16. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And then he says, uh, the power of God unto salvation. But then he says, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If the foundation of the gospel is Christ, and if the fabric of the gospel is power, then the field of the gospel is to every one. It's to everyone. God saves all who believe in him. Belief is the condition for salvation. If you do not believe, you cannot be saved. Hmm. You can believe in a lot of things. You can believe in being a good person. You can believe and being an honest person, but unless you believe in Christ as Savior, you cannot be saved. You have to commit yourself unto him because belief causes you to do something that is a manifestation of that which you say you believe. 
Because I believe in God, the manifestation of my belief is to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and to believe and confess with my mouth that God has raised him from the dead and then I walk in the salvation of God. It is not enough for me to say I believe, but none of my actions describe me as a believer. So if I'm a believer and I believe, then there ought to be some actions and some behaviors that align with my belief. There was a man who was deaf, who was deaf, and he would get up every Sunday morning and he would leave his house and walk down to the church. And it was a small church, and therefore they did not have an interpreter for this deaf man. So one morning his neighbor was out there messing around in his yard on a Sunday morning, washing his car and just hanging out. And he stopped the man and he wrote on a piece of paper, I notice you go to church every Sunday. And the man responded back, yes. He says, but I don't understand why you do it. And the man said, what do you mean? He said, you go down to the church and you cannot hear and therefore you cannot understand exactly what's being said. And the man wrote back, though I may not be able to hear and I may not fully understand, I want everybody to know whose side I'm on. And there are not enough believers today who stand on the Lord's side and want everybody to know it. You walk around, you allow your neighbors to do anything and everything. You let anything and everything coming in and out of your house. You go to work and you act like the people on the job, and yet you're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be the salt of the earth. You're supposed to be the light of the world. Well, guess what? When you believe in God, you behave differently around everybody else. That's the reason people look at you strangely, because you're not fun anymore. Well, what do you mean by that? When you were drinking and acting a fool, that was fun. When you were sleeping around, that was fun. When you were gambling all night, that was fun. When you were shutting down the club, that was fun. But as soon as you turned over your life to God, and as soon as you got saved, you no longer became fun. Well, guess what? Go back to your neighbors, and go back to your family, and go back to your friends and let her know though I may not be fun I am saved and I'd rather be saved than be categorized as somebody who's fun because whether you know it or not we can have fun right up in here in the kingdom of God the problem is is that many folk don't realize whose side they're on but once you know what side you're on you can have fun you can smile you can joke you can have joy you you can be happy. You can experience and display that the true and the living God is living in you and you're glad about it. If you're saved and you're glad, if you're in the field of the salvation, then you ought to have some gladness about your spirit. There ought to be something in you that displays to everybody else, I'm happy in the Lord. I'm glad in the spirit. There's something about being saved that puts a smile on my face. There's something about going to church that makes me excited about the things of God. To be saved means that you're in the field and the field is to everyone that believes it. The gospel is open to everybody. You're not special. Because you're in church. You're special because you accepted the invitation to be saved. That puts you in a special, in a peculiar category. But that category is to everyone who's willing to believe and accept God. To the Jew first and then to the Greek. The Jew, God is not partial. God is not playing favorites. He's just saying they came first and therefore the opportunity was presented to them first. Christ came through. The Jews. God offered them the gift first. But because they were reluctant because they were hesitant, 
and because they lack belief and faith in God. God says, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to open it up to everybody. And if you ain't said amen all morning, you all say amen right there. He said, I'm going to open up to everybody. That's how I got in. That's how you got in. Is because he opened it up to everyone. The field of the gospel is to everyone that believe it. God has the power to save all nationalities. God has the power to save any and everybody, no matter how bad your deeds are or were or is. God can save you if you believe. Paul says there to everyone that believeth. Just because you're in church does not mean that you're saved. The question is, do you believe? Just because your mom and your daddy grew up in church does not mean you're saved. The question is, do you believe? The fact that you came and had your children blessed, but you've never surrendered your life to God, does not mean that you're saved. The question is, do you believe? Just because you sent a few dollars to the church does not mean that you're saved. The question is, do you believe? There was a story of a man, and I'm done. He's a rich man, very wealthy. Had one of the most precious art collections in the world. This man died grieving because he had one son, and his son had died before him. His son was his only heir. It was the apple of his eye. It was the love of his life. His son dies, and the man puts very specific instructions that after I die, I want you to auction off all of my collection. Send out invitations to people, and whoever shows up may have an opportunity to get some very selective, very expensive artwork. Invitation was sent out. The people gathered the auctioneer walked up and hit the gavel and he began to auction off the first piece of artwork. The first piece of artwork was not part of the collection. It was a picture that was hand-drawn by his son, whom he loved. His son, whom he cherished. And his son, who had passed on before and as the gavel hit, the auctioneer said, who wants to bid on this first piece of artwork? And all the people sat there smug, nose up in the airs, legs crossed. Said, we don't want that. Finally, an old man walked down the aisle. And as he got closer, the auctioneer recognized him. He was the butler of the master who had passed away. And he embarrassedly and shamedly reached in his pocket and pulled out $3. He said, can I, can I bid on the, on the artwork? He said, this is all I have. And immediately, once he pulled out the $3 and said it, the auctioneer hit the gavel and said, sold to the old man. The people began to sit up in their seats. They're like, okay, we're ready. Here comes the good stuff. And the auctioneer hit the gavel again and said, the auction is now closed. And the people said, what? And we flew from all over the country to get here. As a matter of fact, some of us flew internationally to get here. He said, yeah, you probably did. Well, you owe us an explanation. He said, well, okay, let, let me explain to you what happened. In the details of the will of the master who loved his son so much, he says, I want to make sure that when you auction off my artwork, auction off the painting that my son did first. And anybody who shows respect and reverence for my son, they get all of the rest of the artwork. So he says, so technically, everything that we have in the collection now belongs to this man. Let, 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 me, let me Leo Thomasonize it for you. That once you accept the son, you have everything that belongs to the father. 
Is there anybody who realizes that I have everything that God has? It is a part of me because I'm connected to him. And guess what he says? That I'm his son and that he loves me, that I'm a joint heir with Christ. That means everything in the kingdom that is at God's disposal is at my disposal. That everything that God has access to, I now have access to. That everything that God is an extension of is now an extension of it to me. That everything that God has is now in my control as long as I'm connected to him. The gospel, the gospel has power because the foundation of the gospel is Jesus. Jesus has all power, not just some power, but all power. And it's available in the field of everyone that believeth. And there's some folk that's listening. I, I know I've heard some of them. The information, people listening all over the country, people listening from other countries. And we appreciate you following us. We appreciate you rolling with us. That it's obvious is something about our flavor that you feel connected to. But trust me when it when I say it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about God. And today, the fundamental facts about the gospel are simple. They're simple, and I want you to understand them because this may be the turning point in your life. The fundamental facts about the gospel is this. The foundation of the gospel is Christ. If you remove Jesus from the gospel, the gospel is just another book. It means nothing. It has no authority. It has no convicting power. Well, why would you say that? Because the second fundamental fact about the gospel is, is that the fabric of the gospel is power. It is made up of power and authority. If my children are down the street or somewhere and I say, go get Sam and tell her to come here, the power of my word will cause her to start moving in my direction. The power of God's word will have you moving in his direction. Just because we're saved don't mean we all that. We have to stay in the word of God. Why? Because the fabric of it is power. But then finally, the last fundamental fact of the gospel is it's a field that's available to everyone. We're not special. You're not special. What makes us special is that we were smart enough to hear and to accept the invitation to follow Christ. Bow with us today. Lord, we bless and praise. We thank you. There's somebody listening today, Lord, who does not know you. There's somebody here today, Lord, who may not appreciate the Son. But God, we pray that they would recognize and realize that if they accept the Son, everything else is available to them. Convict their hearts and their minds, Lord God. We pray that as they try to sort through the issues of life, many people believe that I can't come to God yet because I'm not right. I pray that you convict and enlighten them that they can never be right until they come to you. Pull them, tug them, Lord God. Poke and prod. Whatever it takes, by any means necessary, we pray that you would get their attention, that we would continue to preach the word of God and stand on the word of God, that it would go forth and do whatever is necessary to gain the attention of those who are living in darkness and languishing in a lost world. Now, God, if there's anyone who's listening to us today, Lord God, who's ready to accept a new way, a new life, new light, we pray, Lord God, that they would pray this prayer with us. Lord, I am a sinner. I've tried everything. I've done everything. I'm so unbecoming. I'm so unworthy. 
of your grace and your mercy. But God, I've heard about your son Jesus. I confess to you right now that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he is Lord of my life. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you've raised him from the dead, that he is the living Savior, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us even now. And God, because I confess and because I believe, your word reminds me in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that I'm saved. And we believe if you've just prayed that prayer with us, you've walked out of darkness, and you've transitioned over into the marvelous light. And we praise God for you. We praise God for you. Come on and give God a hand praise. Amen. We pray for you. We ask that if there's anybody who is watching us today, if you don't have a church home, we'd love for you to join with us. I know it's challenging because you're not here, but all you have to do is just shoot us an email, let us know that as soon as we open up, at least if we can make contact with you, we can keep you abreast of when we open back up after COVID-19 kind of goes down some more. But you need to be a part of a church home. You need to be a part of a church home. We appreciate you worshiping with us. We appreciate you following us. And we pray that you continue to do so and that God continues to convict your heart until you're converted. Listen, family, don't forget in this 2020 experience and all of your doing and all of your being, all of your getting, God will be glorified. God bless you. Hello, family. It's Pastor Thomas. And First Lady Kim. I want to thank you for tuning in today. And I pray that the Word of God has touched your heart and met you at your point of need. We appreciate the time that you took to tune in to our service today. Also, to those of you who are part of the Mount Sinai family, words cannot begin to express how much we appreciate you, how much we love you, and more importantly, how much we miss you. For those who are listening in other states and other countries, we thank God for your presence. We thank God for your believing in this small church in San Pedro, California. And we pray that you don't let this opportunity to tune into the service to take the place of real ministry where you can go and be involved in a church that's doing kingdom building where you live at, where you're located at. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for the podcast, live stream, and for any church announcements. One other thing, family, before we go, listen to those of you who've been given into the kingdom. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your financial commitment to the church. Don't forget, family, we have an obligation to support the ministry. And for many of you, you've done that and you've done it well. We've not missed a beat in the last four months. But for those of you who've not been as committed, I pray that God would inspire and touch your heart that you would also continue in your obligation. Listen, family, don't forget in this 2020 experience and all of your being and all of your doing and in all of your getting, God will be glorified. God bless you, family.